the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, really anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free, and you will be connected to our studio producer. Hey, appreciate you tuning in. Hope you had a great weekend. It was crazy around here. Uh, Yesterday, we had uh, our three services. There were so many new people. Uh, all three services were absolutely packed, and it was Communion Sunday. And then uh, later, it was our uh, annual baptism. And I say annual, we do more baptisms than this, but 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 we have one big one where people can come, and, and we kind of make it a neat party. So that was yesterday, and a lot of people got baptized. We got a lot of people who were eating food. It was hot, but it was, it was really, really good afternoon. I got to see some people. Uh, who've been away, one of our dear, dear, dear friends um, who had to move to Oklahoma for uh, work, um, her mother uh, wanted to get baptized, and she's been wanting me to do it, so they drove from Oklahoma to do the baptism. It was just really, really a great day. I told the church yesterday before first service, I said, you know, the neat thing is to wake up on a day like this as a pastor, and you know people are going to get saved, and they did, you know that people are going to um, uh, partake of their very first communion. We get the opportunity to come to the table of communion, which, by the way, nobody should ever take for granted. What a blessing and a privilege that is. And then later we get to go to the waters of baptism, uh, both of the sacraments of the New Testament church on the same day. Uh, it just doesn't get much better than that. So it was really, really a good day. Um, tonight, of course, here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies are on at 7 o'clock. Um, the Sweet Summer Devotion Series, we only have two more uh, ladies who are going to be sharing tonight. Uh, Kim Aravalo is going to be sharing, and so that's at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch that uh, live stream at calvaryessay.com. But as I say every Monday, it's much better to be here in person because you can partake in the Q&A and the, and the discussion, the, the open discussion that takes place afterwards, and a whole bunch of ministry goes on there. Uh, so that's all tonight at 7 o'clock. Remember, you can bring your whole families because we've got people who watch the kids, uh, but we've got the junior hires and the high schoolers who will meet uh, right after worship, and the men, of course, with Pastor Ken. So all of that takes place here tonight uh, at 7 o'clock. Also, just a, a, 
request for prayer. Uh, if you think of us, if the Lord brings you to heart and mind, uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, we will be having our first of two meetings with the City of Universal City. We are are trying our best to move to a much bigger facility, uh, and we need city approval for zoning change and that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, tonight we're going before the Planning uh, Commission and the, and the uh, compliance uh, Zoning Compliance Commission uh, to get their blessing, and we expect that that should go uh, really, really well. And then a week from tomorrow, we go back before the city, the city council, where they will actually be voting on the issue. So uh, that's what's going on tonight. And we would just appreciate your prayers. My goodness, we need more space. And it uh, looks like we found the, the building that the Lord is leading. So uh, please just be in prayer for our meeting tonight and then a week from tomorrow on the 15th. Okay, I guess that's enough. I've taken up almost the whole first half of the program just talking about business stuff. Here's a question from Nacho that came in uh, from our email inbox. It says, Pastor On, yesterday in your study in Acts 15, you were discussing the letter sent to the Gentiles from the council at Jerusalem. That letter mentioned the three things that the Gentiles should abstain from, food sacrificed to idols, from blood, uh, and from the meat of strangled animals. And actually, not sure that's four things, not just three. Uh, those are two separate things. And then from sexual immorality, that's the fourth thing. Uh, in the principle of first mention, Paul usually mentioned sexual immorality, uh, immorality first. James Howard mentioned it last. Um, not sure. Uh, Paula actually asked me this exact same question as she was reading it. Sexual immorality is always listed on the first on the list of disqualifying sins. And in that situation, the hermeneutic or the principal first mission mention that you brought up, uh, it, it's because that is the priority in the eyes of God. Now, the reason that James addressed that uh, last rather than among the uh, the initial ones is remember this particular council at Jerusalem was a very Jewish issue. Uh, Jews were getting saved. They were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, but they were unwilling to let go of their Jewish identity. And they wanted to impose that um, on on Gentiles who were coming. And so to the Jews, and that's why James mentioned it last, sexual immorality, to the Jews, this was a Jewish religious issue. And sexual immorality uh, was not as big a deal uh, for Jews as it was for Gentiles. But even more important is it shows the priority of the Jewish argument. Uh, they were concerned about one thing and one thing only. Did Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be saved? And that's what their position was. And that's the reason that Paul um, opposed Peter to the face. It's later why he went to Jerusalem to settle this issue with James once and for all. It was just something that was the most important issue to the Jews that James was uh, representing. Wonderful question. Thank you very, very much. You know, we've been talking a lot about legalism. That's never a fun thing. But we've been in Galatians on Friday nights, and uh, we just happened to arrive at the same issue in the province of Galatia uh, in the last couple of chapters of Acts 14 and 15. And then... Um, um, so, so it's it's just an issue that can't be avoided. Uh, I think we're done with it, finally. We get to go back to the, the second missionary journey this coming Sunday in the book of Acts, uh, which starts when Paul is introduced to uh, the region of Macedonia. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Matt says, Pastor Ron is believing in the gifts of the Spirit being for today a secondary or essential issue. Matt, this is a secondary issue. Now, I think it's an important issue. And I don't want to demean how important by saying it's a secondary issue. But this isn't an issue that deals with the essentials of our saving faith. Um, so there are people that believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. You can count me in that group. Um, um, th there's no place in our Bibles where we're told that the gifts of the Spirit are going to stop. Now, some of the sign gifts 
will stop. And certainly the initial outpouring, for example, Acts chapter 2, that's never to be repeated. But God gives gifts to his people, and those gifts are still in existence. And having said that, there are real believers who believe that uh, the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. They're called cessationists. That's the theor- theological term. And they believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit passed uh, with the um, uh, canonization of Scripture. Uh, and simply, there's no evidence for that at all in, in our Bibles. That is a stretch. Now, why would they take that position? Matt, I believe that it's because they are uh, offended by the abuses of the Spirit and His gifts that we see so often in churches today. Churches are completely out of order. Many, many churches are completely out of order. They're doing everything uh, that, that actually draws attention away from Jesus, attention away from our need to repent from sin. And you see just crazy, crazy things that are being done in church. In churches, and I think that is so offensive that it turns some people off from the gifts of the Spirit. Having said that, if Jesus wants to give you a gift, He says every good and perfect gift is from above. We don't want to let our biases and we don't want to let abuses of the gifts influence us not to receive anything that Jesus has for us. So it is a secondary issue, but remember I said earlier, it is an important issue, but not an issue that's essential to our faith. Thank you, Matt, for the question. Here is a question from Barry. He says, how do we make sense of free will versus God's sovereignty? Was Pharaoh accountable or did God make him reject God? Um, God never makes anybody reject him. Very, that's really important. I'll start off the answer to your question with that. Uh, if you read the Exodus account, uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart against God seven times before God hardened his heart or, or literally just gave him over to his hard heart. So Pharaoh was personally responsible and was judged as a result. Pharaoh was personally responsible uh, for his actions and, uh, as I mentioned, accepted or had to accept responsibility for them. But God never, he will in no wise cast out any who come to him. That's a principle, Old Testament or New. And in this case, Pharaoh wanted nothing to do with God or God's plan. Pharaoh thought he was God. Ra uh, was the, the Egyptian son God. And Pharaoh believed that he was an incarnation of Ra. Um, so that's important. Pharaoh rejected God. God didn't reject Pharaoh until Pharaoh had crossed a line that you and I can't see. Now, the earlier question, I think the more difficult question, is how do we make sense of free will and and God's sovereignty? Barry, I think both of those things are not uh, mutually exclusive. Uh, The truth is God is sovereign. God is in control. The only thing God doesn't do is make us do it. If if God did that, he would remove free will from us. So God's sovereignty does not mean that he makes us do something and we can't question God because, after all, God is God. So you have free will, Barry, and I have free will. Um, For me, it took a long time. I was almost 40 years old when I used my own free will to say, Jesus, I need you. I believe and I'm desperate and I need you. Now, God knew that was going to happen. And in his sovereignty, Barry, in those years prior to that, the 13 years as an example that Paula prayed for me, in those 13 years, um, God used his sovereignty to frustrate my life. You know, I was looking like everybody in the world to be happy, to be fulfilled, to have a satisfying life, to have peace in my life. And and God simply didn't let that happen. God got me to the place I needed to be. And for me, unfortunately, um, this is how proud I was. I, I was so arrogant. I had to be broken. And God brought me to that point. He didn't break me. I was broken because of the overwhelming circumstances, and I finally had no place else to turn except to Jesus. But I used my free will. I exercised my free will to make that choice. All in all, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. 
That's how he uses sovereignty, those all things, including even the bad things, the things that are in opposition to God. And he's so powerful that he can use his sovereignty to make beauty from ashes. And that's exactly what he did, Barry, in my life. So uh, you have free will. You can choose every day what you're going to do, the choices you're going to make. Are you going to live for you? Are you going to live for God? Uh, And behind the scenes, God is working sovereignly to get you to the place where you need to be to cry out to him. Again, he doesn't force anybody to do that, but um, he gets us to the place where everything that we want to do is just a, just a miserable failure, and it gets really, really hard. So, Barry, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. Um, Anonymous says, I just got saved and my wife doesn't want to be. Should I divorce her? Anonymous, this is why, um, I realize you weren't unequally yoked when you got married, but this is why um, the Bible is so explicit when it comes to unequally yoked marriages. And by that, I mean believers and unbelievers. There's nothing but pain. Um, you know, we want to, we get saved, we want to walk with Jesus, we want to serve the Lord. And if we get somebody in our home, Paula had me in her home for 13 years, uh, I made it as difficult as I possibly could. So these are horrible situations, and they're very, very painful. Having said that, the answer to the question, should you divorce her, not if she's willing to live with you. And by willing to live with you, I mean she can't make your life miserable or anything, but but the idea is um, God now wants to use you to win her. So don't focus on her behavior. Don't focus on her not wanting to get saved. But instead, live your life in such a way that she can't miss the joy that you have. She can't miss how you've changed. You treat her like you've never treated her before. But divorcing her is out of the question unless, of course, she gives you biblical grounds for divorce. And those grounds, of course, are adultery um, or desertion. Um, but, But in the meantime... Uh, you keep following Jesus. Don't make any compromises. Uh, you get involved in a local church. You uh, really dig into your Bible and begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of who he is and what he's done for you. And then you'll grow in the knowledge of his will for your life. And I promise you, Anonymous, your wife will end up noticing and the Holy Spirit will use your witness to draw her to him. That's what happened to me. Uh, I told you the, the previous caller that I was um, arrogant. I made Paula's life miserable, and it took a long time. It took 13 years. But eventually, when I was in trouble, Anonymous, and unfortunately, I didn't even notice until I got in trouble. But when I got in trouble, I noticed that I could never shake Paula's joy. I could never escape the fact that there was someone in her life, and I knew it was Jesus Christ, there was someone in her life who was protecting her, who was empowering her, who was filling her life with joy. And because of that, when I got desperate, I knew where to turn. In fact, and uh, I think I've said this on this program before, uh, when I got saved, literally fell on my face on a public street in Upland, California, I cried out for Paulus Jesus. That's all I knew. I hadn't been in church. I had never opened a Bible. I remember saying, um, Paul is Jesus if you're real. I need you. And that's when he came rushing in. So uh, be a witness for your wife and do it for Jesus. He wants your wife to get saved and he wants you to be the witness. In First Peter chapter 3, that's Paula's passage of scripture that she held on to when she was praying for me and that's written to the woman uh, in an unequally yoked marriage. But in your case, the same principles apply to you. You be so filled with joy that she can't help but to notice that something's changed. And then, of course, pray for her continually over and over and over again. Thank you for the question. 340-9585. We would love uh, for uh, your phone calls to come. Uh, Here's a question from Lionel. 
Lionel says, how should Christians talk to people who are transitioning? Lionel, uh, I think this is such an important question for the time that we live in. And, of course, you're talking about gender transitioning, which is just a facade in the first place. But I don't think we really talk to them about that until or unless they bring it up. I think what we do is we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. So talk to somebody just like you'd talk to anybody else. Just tell them what God has done in your life and tell them that Jesus loves them and he proved it by dying for their sins and that by receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their sins can be forgiven and all of the pain in their life, all of the messes that they made, all of that can begin anew and fresh. All they have to do is ask Jesus to save them, to forgive them of their sins. And if they want to bring up the the transitioning, well, does that mean I have to go back to my original gender? The answer is, yeah, it does. It really does. But let's not worry about that now. Let's deal with the sin issue first. I can't remember which study it was, Lionel, but it was very recently when I did a study when I was talking about Christians. Sometimes we are way too quick to try to clean the fish before we catch them. And uh, cleaning the fish is God's job. So you tell people who are sinners, separated from God, you tell them about your Jesus. Tell them what he's done for your life. And then let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. Don't look down on them. Don't be embarrassed by them. Don't be disgusted by them. I know that's difficult because we know the kind of pain they're in, but we also know the lies of the enemy who's convinced them. We know that the world that we live in is is indoctrinating them. Um, you just tell them about Jesus. Paul said he was a debtor, both the Greek and Jew. In other words, I have to tell people about Jesus, and that's the approach we need to take. Now, don't uh, compromise if somebody says, well, well, will God accept me this way? I um, say no. No, but once again, recognize you're a sinner, just like I was a sinner. You're a sinner, and God wants to forgive you. And the Holy Spirit will convince you of what has to be done next. So stand firm for the truth, but present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you very, very much. Naomi says, is the rapture mentioned in the New Testament at all? Uh, The word rapture, uh, Naomi, does not appear in the New Testament. Uh, It's really a word that we get. Our English word rapture comes from the Latin word raptus or rapturo. Um, um, but, But the rapture itself is all over. The New Testament, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses starting in verse fifty-one, uh, is is clearly the rapture of the church. Um, Paul writes that I tell you a mystery: um, we will not all die, but we will all be changed in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye. Uh, we will be transformed, and we will be caught up uh, to meet Jesus in the air. Um, that verse is all about the rapture, and that's the first time that there was any definitive, um, explicit teaching on it. It's one of the mysteries that the Apostle Paul received from the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, but we also have uh, the rapture taught about in First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, Jesus gave hints about it. He said, in my Father's house, this John chapter 14, he was with his disciples in the upper room. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And here's the key. If I go, I will come back and get you to take me to be with you where I am. Now, namely, if you're online or you're listening to, um, I think, poorly informed uh, Bible answer programs, uh, you have to be careful because they're just people that want to be different. There's people who will say, oh, the rapture's not in church. I had a letter or an email from somebody last week who said, that, I just discovered that the rapture was uh, a false doctrine. Probably somebody listened to Hank Hanegraaff or somebody like that. Um, and, and I can tell you, I know Hank personally, and uh, there was a time when Hank was fully convinced 
um, that uh, the rapture of the church and the imminent rapture of the church was sound doctrine and taught it. Um, but over the years, he's changed his view as his faith has changed. Uh, he's orthodox now. Um, but there are always people that want to take the contrary view, and they're going to be very adamant, confidently speaking about things that they know nothing of. Um, but all you have to do is read your Bible. The Apostle Paul expected Jesus to return in his lifetime. Um, I'm getting older now, Naomi, but I expect, I've always expected Jesus to return in my lifetime. If he is patient enough to wait a little bit longer and I go to be with Jesus first, uh, there's nothing but value that comes from the, the doctrine of imminency that the rapture could happen at any moment. Uh, all we have to do is look around at the signs of the times that we live in. Jesus was very big on that. He told Jews that, that we need to look around us. We should know the signs of the times, and all we have to do is see the level of deception. I mean, if there's not a lying spirit that's been permitted by God to take the minds of these people, there's no other explanation for believing impossible things are now true, and yet that's the world that we live in. So... Um, while the word rapture is not in the Bible, the concept is. Let me, Naomi, ask you to do this if you really want a complete teaching on it. And I, I mean, it's pretty complete. Go to CalvarySA.com, Revelation Studies that I've done, Chapter 4, the very first study in Chapter 4 is always a detailed explanation, biblically, about the rapture of the church. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. The phones are quiet. We'd love you to call 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Can I bug you for one more prayer request this week? Our two granddaughters, um, Ileana and Asia, are going off to college. One of them is going to play soccer in Minnesota, and the other one is going to play volleyball in San Francisco. She's actually going to San Francisco State University. Um, and, ooh, we just want to cover them in prayer. So if the Lord brings them to heart and mind, please pray for them. One leaves tomorrow, and the other one, I think, leaves on Thursday of this coming week. They're growing up. I'm getting old. My goodness. Here's a question that just came in from our mobile app anonymously, um, listening to the program and said, what are the sacraments of the church? You mentioned two of them, communion and another one. What do sacraments mean in your church? I thought sacraments was a Catholic practice. Um, sacraments are uh, by and large viewed as Catholic in practice. Um, and a lot of the sacraments of the Catholic Church are, uh, are are literally of no value at all. But the two sacraments, and here's how we get the sacraments. The sacraments are taught on by Jesus, practiced in the early church. In other words, we can see them in the book of Acts, and then taught on in the epistles. And anonymous, there's only two sacraments that are practiced throughout in all three categories, and that's communion, that's when we come to the table of the Lord, and the other one is baptism. So when I mentioned at the top of the program that it's the day when we um, uh, get to, to, to be blessed by participating in both of the sacraments of the church, those are the two that have a biblical foundation. All of the other sacraments um, uh, that Catholics practice are tradition. And I, I, I always tell you tradition when it's not backed up with biblical um, foundation uh, is, is simply has no value at all. It's just religiosity and, and we needn't do those things. So the sacraments are communion. We do that on the first Sunday of every month. And then baptism, um, that's the other sacrament. And yesterday happened to be both of those days for our church. So remember the sacraments. Don't divorce it from the Catholic practice. 
sacraments just comes from from our word sacred and uh it, they're, they're just important things that we do because that instruction has been given to us, but they're sort of holy and separated for God. And so those are the two sacraments of a New Testament church, and they were practiced from the very beginning. Um, Jesus' ministry and the ministries in the book of Acts, and again, also taught on uh, in detail in the New Testament. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is... Our next question, it comes from Mickey. How do I get from knowing about God to really knowing him? I heard you make the reference a little while ago, and it's been bothering me. Now, Mickey, this question has been sitting here for several days, so I'm not, I can't remember uh, exactly what I said that you're commenting on. But but the, the question that you asked, how to get from knowing about God to really knowing him, is the most important question that any of us are ever going to ask and find the answer to. Um, everybody knows about Jesus. Even his enemies know all about him. When uh, the seven sons of Siva um, tried to cast out a demon, and the demons looked and said, well, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? And, of course, they jumped out and, and, and beat the seven sons of Siva, left him bloody and naked, running away. So everybody knows about God. Everybody knows. I'm going to suggest two things. One, your question doesn't make it clear whether or not you're a born-again Christian. So I'm going to approach it from both angles. If you are not a born-again Christian, then I need you to look at the evidence, look at the world around us and the craziness that's going on. Look at your own life and the emptiness in your heart. And that emptiness is demonstrated with your question. And then I can tell you that the answer to that emptiness is Jesus. And then all you have to do is believe that he is who he said he was. He said he was the Son of God and God the Son. It's important because only God can forgive sins. You believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. It was proven by the fact that he died, he was murdered, and he didn't stay dead. He's alive. And now he's been knocking on the door of your heart because he wants to know you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And so all you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. Please come into my heart. I want to give you control of my life because I really want to know you. And Mickey, it's the one thing that God wants to do. It's what he died to do to have a relationship with you. He will be your best friend. He will also be your Lord and Savior, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But it's the only way you can approach God is to have your sins forgiven, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you begin the journey, the most exciting adventure that you'll ever be on. You'll have lots of questions, but we walk by faith. We trust in the Lord. And when you say yes, the Holy Spirit comes in you, and he will then begin to lead your life. He'll take you in directions you never dreamed possible. So that's how you get from knowing about him to really get to know him. Apart from being born again, there is no way to know God. He lives in unapproachable light. He is holy, and we're not. Uh, sin separates us from him. And so that's the first step. You must be born again. The second way, and this is if you are a believer, but you just kind of have an arm's length relationship with the Lord, you keep him at a distance. Um, read your Bible. Find out who he is. Invest time in the relationship. You know, the one thing that that is true for every one of us who've ever believed, Mickey, is when we first got saved, Jesus was a complete stranger to us. And we might have had a little head knowledge about him, but he was a stranger to us. And the only way that a relationship can become deep is by spending time. Our theme here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is just be with Jesus. When you hang out with Jesus, you're going to be exposed to him. And you're going to see who he is. You're going to experience his love for you. And you have to nurture that love affair. It's it's just like any other relationship. You know, when Paul and I first met... Um, we fell in love with each other literally at first sight. 
uh, and and there's no exaggeration. At first sight, she opened the door, and we were both of us crazy, silly in love. But we really couldn't talk a lot. I didn't know her very well, and she certainly didn't know me at all. And so we talked. We spent time together. Uh, her mom used to have to kick me out of the house at 2 o'clock in the morning. You go home. And, and then I'd go home and I'd call her on the phone. That's back in the days when our phones had cords and were attached to walls. But the more you talk, the more time you spend together, the easier the conversation becomes. Well, it's exactly the same way in nurturing our relationship with Jesus Christ. You've just got to get to know him. You've got to invest in the relationship. Spend more time with him than you do with anybody else. And everything will change, Mickey. And this transition from knowing about him to knowing him is the most important thing in the world. And if something I said a few days ago on the radio is has been bothering you since then, that's the Holy Spirit knocking at the door of your heart. And probably he's saying, I'm here Believe and receive, and let's begin a whole new life together. Thank you, Mickey. I appreciate the question, and lots of people are going to be praying for you. Let's go to Greg from Bolverde. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I'm so glad you got this show on. It's, I love uh, hearing your wisdom every day. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> And we'll continue to pray for the funds to come in for your building. If God's behind it, I'm sure it's going to happen, but you got, uh, you're got in my prayer list. Thank you. From your lips to God's ears, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, uh, my question is, uh, I, I, I pretty much kind of get it, but then I don't get it. It seems like Judas, uh, almost like he didn't have a choice. It's, it's like God had to have these events happen. Uh, or is it just that God knew what Judas was going to choose before he even chose it, and all the events took place, you know, from that perspective? Yeah, Craig, that's that's a question that we get a lot here, and it's really an important one that that we can sort of work out in our minds. Um, you know, Judas's betrayal was predicted not by name. Judas wasn't named in the Old Testament, but 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 um, the prophecy of his betrayal uh, was well known to Jews, um, and um, that's basically um, what God knew was going to happen. Uh, but God didn't cause it to happen. And when people say uh, Judas didn't have a choice, Judas was more accountable than any other person who's ever walked this earth, except maybe Adam and Eve. But Judas was more accountable uh, because of the things that he'd seen, because of his closeness with Jesus, uh, the miracles, the, 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 the thousands of people that were affected uh, by Jesus' ministry on earth, um, by, by being chosen as one of Jesus' closest companions, those who were the 12 disciples. He was really accountable. And I don't think Judas intended to betray the Lord. I just think that's the way it happened. When what Judas wanted to happen, it became clear that that's not what was going to happen. And uh, Judas exercised his free will, and and this is just me here, Greg, but I believe that Judas believed that he could pressure Jesus into uh, revealing who he was and coming into his kingdom. Um, I I don't think Judas, like the other disciples, understood that he has to die. There had to be a perfect sacrifice for the sins of imperfect people. And I think Judas just sort of figured out, well, if I manipulate Jesus this way, then he's going to have to come into his kingdom. And Judas, of course, we know, was not an honest man. He wanted uh, to be in a position of importance in the kingdom of God. And when it didn't work out the way he wanted, well, that's when the devil entered him. Now, Jesus said that, that Judas was the son of perdition from the beginning. In other words, there was never a chance that he wasn't going to do it. But remember, when we read about these things, the scriptures must be fulfilled the scriptures didn't cause Judas's betrayal. The scriptures simply reported that he was going to betray because a God who lives outside of time and space, who knows the end from the beginning, that God 
reported the facts beforehand. Judas simply stepped in and fulfilled them. But God didn't take away his free will. God didn't force him to do anything. Judas did it because that's what he chose to do. And God even used all of that and turned it into good for the rest of the human race. So, Greg, Judas had the choice like you and I have choices he had the choice. He exercised his choice to betray Jesus. His motives were not right with the Lord. And uh, and he was exposed. He was exposed. You know what I find interesting about Judas? And I touched on this yesterday during our communion service. Um, you know, when, when Jesus said in the upper room, he said, tonight one of you will betray me. Um, you know, I would have thought that Judas would have been so obvious that... The 11 of them would have said, Judas, we know it's you. But they didn't. They looked at Jesus and said, is it I, Lord? And Jesus identified Judas. And then he forced Judas out of the room before the cup was taken. But we would have thought that everybody would have known. But Judas appeared to be, I think, the most responsible of all the disciples. I mean, he was given charge of the money bag. He was the treasurer. I'm sure the other disciples thought that Judas uh, was was one of Jesus's favorites. Jesus gave Judas many chances, even from that moment in the upper room, to ask for forgiveness, and Judas refused to do it. He condemned himself when he said, "I have betrayed innocent blood." He went to try to undo what he did, but unfortunately, there are things that can't be undone, and of course, that led him to to kill himself. But Greg, he was always going to be the betrayer. Um, he never really surrendered his will to the will of God. It wasn't like he got saved and lost his salvation. But even more interesting to me is that Judas was given power by Jesus himself to cast out evil spirits, to heal diseases. And he did it. And still, his heart got hard. So, Greg, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. It's always good to hear from you. I'm praying for you, brother. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Boy, here's an impossible question. It's anonymous. Uh, Pastor, how should we think about the homeless people that are taking over many cities? Um, you know, this this is a, a question that there's no answer to. Um, our country has let the homeless situation get to such an extreme level that there's no fix. Again, I think this is another sign of the end. If you look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and read the description of the life at the very end before Jesus returns for his church, uh, we can see that. I mean, think about it, Anonymous. If you go to L.A. or San Diego, I was just in San Diego, um, but but obviously it's everywhere. But if you go to those places, San Francisco is even worse. Um, homeless people are taking over once beautiful, thriving cities. And regular people, law-abiding people, you talk about lawlessness, law-abiding people have to walk over or walk through being harassed. Um, these these uh, homeless encampments um, just to do normal day-to-day business. And uh, this is just a sign of the insanity of sin and how far we've fallen And the problem now, the situation is so bad that there's no solution. Whatever we say is okay. We stop enforcing laws. People can do what they want. Well, those situations always get exponentially worse, and it's going to continue to get worse very, very quickly. So uh, I don't know what to do. Now, how should we think about the homeless people? What we need to think about is having compassion on them. That doesn't mean enabling them. It doesn't mean giving them everything. It doesn't mean allowing them to destroy our cities. There's always been a balance between lawlessness and, 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 and maintaining the law. And we've just thrown that balance completely out the door. And we've given our cities over to these uh, homeless people. And as unfortunate as they are, uh, many, of, many of them mentally uh, ill, many more of them, I think, demon-possessed. Um, but we just let them do what they want to do. And um, the situation not only has gotten worse, but as I said, is going to continue to get worse. So what we need to do is give them Jesus. 
Give them Jesus. If they want Jesus, he'll be there. If they don't want Jesus anonymous, there's nothing at all that we can do. Nothing at all that we can do. So whenever you find yourself in front of a homeless person, be kind, demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, give them hope, and give them Jesus. It's more important than giving them money, buying them a sandwich, give them Jesus. And then it's between them and the Lord. It's between them and the Lord. But all the worldly solutions, um, buying hotels or putting them up in hotels, giving them free housing, none of that is working. So maybe if we give them Jesus, there will be some who get saved. But it is a problem that can't be fixed at this point. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Ryan from Elmendorf on line one. Ryan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, how are you doing this afternoon, Pastor Ron? I'm doing well, Ryan. Thanks. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, well, I have a question for you, and uh, and please forgive my ignorance on this. I'm a, I'm a new believer. Oh, good. Um, so I'm still, tr- yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to, uh, you know, learn as much as I can and and uh, and wade through the the waters. Um, but I, I had a question about. Um, Jesus return. I, um, of course, you know, I'm so looking forward to that day, uh, mm. myself, my family, my wife, and my children. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not trying to be flip with my question here. It's just my own ignorance. I, I, <laughs> sometimes I, I, there's like a hint of sadness because I, I wonder what's going to happen to, uh, my dogs. I, um, you know, I, they, we consider them part of our family and, yep. and I wonder, oh my goodness, are they going to be, you know, less to fend for themselves, you know, and, and Lord knows what the world's going to be like, uh, you know, in those crazy days. Um, so again, I, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a new believer. I'm learning. So I, I just, I wonder about things like that. Well, please never, ever, um, don't ask a question because you, you think it's too simple or too basic, Ryan. As a brand new believer, you ought to be so curious and asking questions. I bugged everybody all day when I was, when I was first saved the first couple of years. I had so many questions. So these are really great questions. And, and I'm a dog guy. So, um, you know, uh, I understand the concern. One of the things that we have to understand is that our our pets are gifts from the Lord, a blessing in this world to be enjoyed and to give God thanks for while we're here. But I can tell you, if the rapture happens tonight, the, the, the last thing on your mind and your heart will be your dog. You'll be staring into his face. You'll be hearing him call your name. It'll be a new name. It won't be Ryan, whatever your new name given from heaven is. And he will look at you and say, I was waiting for you, Ryan. Thank you for believing in me. And then we're going to enter into a whole new order of things, and we won't be worried about those things. Now, having said that, I do realize that we are... Uh, on this side of the rapture, we are going to be worried about those things because we love these animals. And, 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 and the same thing is true of family members. I'm not equating them with the animals, but family members who are unsaved and friends. Um, um, the, the worst thing that could happen to an animal that's left behind, uh, the worst thing that could happen is that that animal would live through the Great Tribulation. That's just not going to happen. So we know that God is just. We know that God is gracious uh, we know that he is compassionate, and uh, it is my belief, um, Ryan, that that animals who are left behind will not survive even the opening moments of the Great Tribulation, and their death will be quick and sudden. Uh, animals do not have souls. They're not going to go to heaven, but when we get to heaven and we are with Jesus, we'll understand what a gift those animals were for us. We had a dog, Ryan, and I'm running out of time here for the half, so I'm not going to take another question. But um, when Paul and I got here first to Texas, we had a dog who at the time was 13 and a half years old when we came here. Um, Rhodesian Ridgeback Boxer makes a big old 120, 25-pound uh, dog, big and strong. And this dog protected Paul while I was at Bible College. Man, nobody could even walk down the, the sidewalk on the same side as they were coming toward her. He made sure that there was plenty of distance. Uh, when he had to go out at night, 
uh, and Paula, and we didn't live in a great neighborhood then. Um, he was always there when Paula wanted to share Jesus with people. He'd sit at her feet and, and just very patiently wait while she was sharing Jesus. This dog uh, was so important to us. And when he died at 15, um, as painful as it was, you know, everybody wants to buy you a new dog when that happens. As painful as it was, the Lord spoke to our hearts and said, no, now the church is your new dog. I taught you how to love with your dog. His name was Moto. So love the church the way you love that dog. And and the reason that's important is because uh, we'd, we'd carry him up and down stairs. When his legs started to fail, big dogs have that problem. His legs started to fail. Uh, Paula would pick fleas off him. We didn't have fleas in California, but in Texas there were fleas. She'd pick them off one by one. We'd, she'd, she'd make him lay down on the kitchen floor with tile down there, and she, one by one, she'd take him with her fingernails off. Uh, we had to, to clean him up after we went to the bathroom because uh, his legs wouldn't work, and and um, it, it just, God said, that's how I want you to love the people that I love. And the lessons that your dog has taught you, and if you have kids, Ryan, this is the way to, to, to tell them, the lessons that that animal taught you, how to love, the unconditional love that you get from those pets. Um, those are the lessons that Jesus wants us to learn. And you'll be even more grateful for your pets than you were before, but honestly, um, they won't survive the, the opening of the Great Tribulation, is, is my opinion uh, on those things. It's people that Jesus is worried about. And the minute you see them, all of the other problems will go away. Ryan, you call anytime you ask any question. Because the questions you are dealing with are questions other people have. Hey, we're running out of time. Sweet Summer Devotions tonight. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.